The viewpoints expressed on Night Fright are not necessarily those of the host, the staff, the sponsors, or the affiliate stations. Tonight's program may contain graphic themes or images. Viewer discretion is advised. There is a time for There is a time for answers. There is a time to challenge. There is a time to speculate. There is a time for change. There is a time for truth. The time is now. Showtime. Welcome to the show. Folks, we're back. This is part two of two. John Ventry is with us tonight. You'll recognize our guest tonight because John, of course, folks, he's one of the stars on the History Channel series on UFOs called Hangar One. John is also the state director for six states for MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network. John has appeared on many other Discovery and History Channel productions, both in the United States and Canada. He recently appeared on the Anderson Cooper Show to discuss some sightings, and we didn't get to that in our first show. So if you're tuning in for this part, you're with some luck. It seems the Anderson Cooper Show took some liberties in the editing to tell their own story. So in the first part of the show, folks, as we ended, I have to bring you up to speed here. John was telling us about Perhaps a demon, perhaps an ET, and we're going to pick it up there, John. And if you want to fill in some of those blanks, and they are many, please feel free to. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I kind of gave you the, the quick version, but uh, actually, even in April of fourteen, something else happened. My son and his fiance were over, and uh, I have a home theater with a projector on the ceiling and a, you know, 102 inch screen that comes down. So oh, nice. we're standing, we're standing there talking. Him and his fiance are sitting on the couch. I'm standing about halfway. The projectors in between the two of us. We're talking, and all of a sudden, we both look up. Something on the ceiling went in front of the projector light, and it snaked just like a snake. It was a spirit. And it went right across the ceiling. It wasn't enough that you can see of shape other than it was just like an eel. It went right across the ceiling. And my son said, what is that? And I said, I have no idea what that was. Again, it's another type of a spirit or something, you know. You're a MUFON director. Do you hear many, many stories like this from people that have been abducted, alien abductions? You know, I'll tell you why. I had a demonologist on the show. And she hears sometimes that greys are demons. And when you brought this up... I think so. Really? Yeah, I I think so. I'm leaning right now. See, I've got to be able to explain this uh, in my mind. Uh, The thing that startled me is that there were always the bangs, sometimes a voice, uh, footsteps, tapping, uh, stuff. It's getting more pronounced, you know, entering my daughter... 
that thing, whatever it was on the ceiling. Because, you know, I think these spirits, they hang in. They're not like under your bed. They're not in your closet. They're up in the ceiling looking down at us. They're up in the corner. They're, that's where they are. You know, but the thing that bothered me was what happened in June. Now I could smell it. Hmm. You see, it wasn't just a bang on the wall. And I'm telling you, the bang on the wall in my TV room and the bang on the wall in my master bathroom was so loud. I don't think I could punch. I take, I do kickboxing. I don't think I could hit the wall hard enough to make that sound. And that picture flipped up off the wall. I got two Indian headdresses with feathers there. The feathers blew to the side, you know. Uh, and and the dog, the thing I know it's see, I know I'm not crazy because the dog had just come over. He's a Doberman. He laid across my lap while we were watching TV. Big as dog. soon as the bang, we both turned and looked. Exact same second, we both turned and looked at the wall. Did he growl or anything like that? No, he didn't until we, we the game was over and I went upstairs figuring that smell had to be coming out of the uh, out of the, 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 the pipes. It had to be a, a sewer problem or gas. Or, but it doesn't make any sense because this is the upstairs bathroom. There's two bathrooms below it. There's one on the basement. There's one on the first floor. There's one on the second floor. How does the second floor have the smell and not the first floor and not the basement? It don't make any sense. The, the pipe pipes are all connected that's why they put three in a row on three floors you describe the smell as smelling like feces and also rotting flesh rotting meat and every time i speak with a demonologist and i had a woman on christine corda who went through a real roman catholic exorcism that's exactly the way they've described yeah that's that scared me now i wear this look at this thing my cross is bigger than yours if you can see it you know, I, yeah. I, I wear I wear my cross. Now. Has it made a difference, John? Well, I'll tell you what happened. Uh, I got really concerned about this because now it's manifesting. That smell was so pungent. Those bangs on the wall twice were so loud and the dog heard it. And when you said that the dog bark, what happened was right before I laid down in bed and I put the TV on. So it's still lit. All of a sudden, the dog, I mean, he's 108 pounds. This is a big Doberman. He go. I see him go down the hall to the attic stairs and I, I keep a gate across the stairs because a couple of times he went upstairs and did his business. Uh, so there's a gate there. And he looks up and goes wild. And I'm telling you, this ain't like barking. You know, this is like when the UPS man comes to the door and my dog goes insane because he's in uniform or something. Uh, he is going absolutely insane barking because he sees something at the top of the stairs. I'm convinced of that because the dogs can sense that stuff. Yeah. And, and like I said, too, then he lay down. He sleeps on at the foot of the bed, a little couch where you kind of sit and put your shoes on. He claimed that. That's his bed at night. So I'm getting the news. I can see his head. I'm watching a TV. And then again in my bathroom where that other bathroom is right connected to it on the other side of the wall. Boom! My dog and I. And you see, then I ignored it because I said, I'm not going to react to this and act scared. I turned the TV off. I rolled over and went to sleep. That probably pissed the demon off, you know, (laughs) because, hey, I can't get this guy upset, you know. So but then I started thinking about it. Well, John, I I wanted to ask you this, too. You said you had security cameras on the exterior of the house. Yeah. Did you ever capture anything on those? And do you have interior security cameras as well? Perhaps you've caught something on those? 
You know, you just gave me a good idea. I've got the ADT Pulse system with two cameras on the interior. In the, they're on the two doors, back door, front door, obviously. Motion censored, I suspect. Yeah, and they go off. They go off with motion. So at any time, I could go and look. I don't know how far back it goes now because that's June, you know. So I don't know that seven months is still there. But you just gave me an idea to go back and look at that, you know. And I, I didn't look at the outside of the house, you know. But I've got four cameras on the outside that record to a DVR, and it's a continuous record. In the first part of the show, we had discussed the fact that there was a helicopter hovering over your house when we started talking about national security issues. And it yeah. hovered there for, what, five minutes? Yeah, that'd be at least five minutes. came back again. It was there twice. Maybe you could check your security cameras on that yeah. and let us know. Yeah, well, yeah I will, but uh, those cameras are looking down at the driveway, the walkway, there's four different angles. Uh, that's above, so I don't think that's going to show up. But but you gave me an idea to look, check my ADT yeah. pulse and see, because the camera's in the kitchen, the other camera's in the entranceway, you know. But uh, it, it scared me because it's manifesting and getting louder, and now there's a smell. When I when the smell was there, I knew now the next step is going to be an attack or possession. Something is going to happen next. So, you know, I went to the religious store. I got this cross. I put crosses in the other rooms. I've always had my bedroom with the, a cross. I got this huge uh, uh, Last Supper thing in the hallway, but I went to the church. I got the holy water. I made crosses over all the windows and doors upstairs. I put crosses in the other room, and I got a couple of books to read on, on possession and on how to get rid of it. And, you know, I spoke to a priest, and he goes, well, it's you that it's attached to. It's not the house, although that house in New Jersey had its own spirits, uh, so it's you. But Did then the priests think it was a warning or something? Because, you know, you're doing all this wonderful work now with MUFON. You've got the shows going. You're getting deeper and deeper into it. Do you think they see you as a threat, perhaps? And this is I don't a warning? know. I don't know. I don't know what's behind it. But then the weirdest thing happens. I meet this woman. Like I told you, I was single. I've been divorced now. Yeah. I meet this woman, and she's pretty uh you know devout catholic and stuff and she you know, by the way of, jo- for all you single women out there watching right now john's connections are going to be on www.nightfrightshow.com <laughs> sounds good thanks so uh but i meet this woman and uh she's very catholic and uh she says she's into ufos which seemed didn't make sense but she kind of was interested in it, and uh, I told her what just happened in the house, because that was June, this is August that I meet her, and she goes, I'll be over, I haven't done this in a while, we'll perform the exorcism rites, and I have holy water. I mean, how many women you know can come over and perform the exorcism rites by memory? By memory. She knew all the wording, everything to say, different prayers, I, this is like Elaine Warren coming over, you know, from The Conjuring. Yeah. She comes over with her holy water and goes from room to room to get out of, you know, and, and going through the whole thing, blessing the house. And, all. and I'm telling you, when she did that, there was almost like this weight lifted off. My house has a totally different feel to it right now. Different it's feel. almost like it's almost like it's springtime all the time. It's, it's, it's this light feeling in my house instead of being kind of this depressed feeling of negativity and stuff. It was weird. So I so it's like, how many times have you met a woman who could do this, you know? And, uh, you know, she says to me, your involvement in this UFO stuff, the books you write, you know, I every room in my house is themed, you know, medieval, Egyptian, 
Japanese sports, but my entire basement is sci-fi Bigfoot UFOs. With a 102-foot <laughs> screen. You know, I haven't missed on that part. Yeah, that's my TV room. That's That room's Indians and Animals with 600 DVDs. But every room is themed, you know. But my basement is my sci-fi stuff with all the little resin models and Bigfoot. And I got a footprint. And I got all my UFO stuff, all the plaques from man cave. conferences I did. It's a man cave. That's exactly what it is. But it's it, – I mean, you looked at it. I've lost dates when I saw that room. <laughs> you know, it's like – you know, they, they I had one woman said to me, you're not going to cut me up, are you? <laughs> and I said, she actually asked me that. And I looked at it and I said, no, not before. <laughs> I, 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 I'm going to keep the show G-rated. <laughs> you know? I said, no. But, uh, but, I mean, so she says to me, you're drawing this stuff in. And she sent me a whole series of emails, and I read them. And, you know, it basically says you got to you gotta get these things out of your house. I mean, I have an eight-foot Anubis. I have an Egyptian room that will knock your socks off. Giorgio or the ancient alien guys would love it. I mean, I've got a, a, a King Tut sarcophagus with a mummy in it. I've got an eight-foot Anubis. I got these beautiful pillars with all kinds of Egyptian stuff on it. And the whole room's Egyptian. You know, it's cool. But uh, she said, you got to get rid of that stuff. You got to get rid of all the stuff in the bay. I said, I'm not going to do that. I said, you know, I understand this is happening, but I'm not worshiping any of this stuff. These are, are, are the decorations that I look at it as. Yeah. yeah, it's an ornament. I said, I don't, you know, it's like I could care less. But, uh, you know, you kind of, you kind of like saying, should I You get rid of that stuff? I don't know. But, uh, but then, uh, and then there's something, it even gets even weirder. This woman is cold to the touch. And she says, you know, you hug her, you kiss her, you take her hand. She's cold. And uh, she says to me, oh, yeah, my parents, they used to tease me that I'm a corpse, you know. And now I'm thinking, you know, I said, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't want to get too weird. But I was saying to myself, this is weird the way she showed up, you know, like she was sent, you know. And I think we got guardian angels. And I absolutely believe she was sent by she was sent by a guardian angel and she wasn't sent by the CIA to help me. But, uh, you know, so it's kind of weird. So I actually, then all of a sudden it's like, well, I don't want to date you anymore. She's gone. She showed up for two months, cleaned my house out of spirits and we were getting along great. I actually told people I would marry this woman. Hmm. And I was a devout bachelor. I will never, ever get married again. You know, she changed my mind and she's gone. Just right. Saying. So I actually got online and I said, you know, this is weird, but I'm going to Google her name for obituary. I want to see if this woman had passed away. Now, I Googled, she was there. She was a teacher, which she did. just like she said in Virginia, there's no obituary. If, if there was an obituary, that would have been a flip out moment. That would have been like, yeah, I'm going back on Anderson Cooper and I'm telling this story on the Anderson Cooper show. Could you Great imagine? segue. We got we to gotta cover Anderson Cooper before we okay. run out of time. And we got lots of time, folks. Get the coffee going. Get the tea yeah. going. Beverage of your choice going. Kick back. We've got a lot, a lot of time left. But Before you get to Anderson, I want to talk a little bit about my book. But you see, now I got a conflict because I wrote this an alternative history of mankind because I wanted to tell this. Yeah, that's the title. I wanted to tell the story with all my knowledge about what if they have always been here, the ETs? What if they have interfered in everything? Before you get to Anderson, I want to talk a little bit 
about my book. But you see, now I got a conflict because I wrote this, An Alternative History of Mankind, because I wanted to tell the Yeah, that's the title. I wanted to tell the story with all my knowledge about what if they have always been here, the ETs? What if they have interfered in everything? What if we've completely misidentified angels and demons as, and they're really ETs? They've, all the ancient alien stuff. So I write this book with every alternative theory you can think of. And it's in this book, you know, uh, really uh, supporting the fact that we were genetically engineered by them, that they have interfered in that. But the way this, it's really an interesting story. That woman I met at that conference, who I think was a hybrid back in 99, she's the character in the book. I pick her up as a hitchhiker. She's a hybrid. She's telling me our true history. So it's, it's very easy to write when you're in a conversation. That, that's an easier way of writing a story. But it, something happened about right before I in, finished writing this book, I said to myself, you know what? You've got to support that we came from God, <laughs> you know, the, we, the Jesus, you know. So I actually went back and rewrote portions. And the storyline kind of has me as the driver where I'm not buying everything she says. And, and we have this argument over religion and the Bible. And she's trying hard to convince me that we're a, a genetic engineered project. Mm. And I'm saying, no, I believe in Jesus. So I kind of made the book and people that have read it said, yeah, you've left it on the fence. Creation, meaning they created us or God created us. And I think this would make a hell of a TV show, too. You have the hitchhiker opens up every yeah, episode, yeah. kind of as the narrator, you know, and then you, you can play out that that episode of, of them involved in Egypt or Rome or uh, or whatever it might be. But, you know, so now I said to myself, I can almost write another book now because I wrote this one really from the standpoint that everything's been manipulated in our society over the years by them. We're a science project, you know. But now, when if you were to ask me, what do you believe? I believe the abduction phenomenon and the grays are demonic. I believe that. I believe that 99%. I believe there is, I know for a fact there is demonic activity. You know, that, I've never seen a UFO. I saw that guy standing down the hallway, which I think was a, some sort of an alien. I, you know, and then I had, I had that that out-of-body experience and those dreams that, you know, to me seemed like might have been an abduction and maybe that kid was that was poking my dog was a hybrid son or something. I don't know what that what was going But then now I look at back and I say, you know what? Was that what it was or was that a demonic encounter? I don't know what that was. I have no idea, but uh, but I firmly believe in, in, you know, it's like weird too. Why, as I'm an executive at UPS and all of a sudden I get this thing to write books on end of days, the Mayan calendar, I became an expert in end time prophecies. Like what? At 40 years old, I'm writing end time prophecy books. I wasn't even a MUFON member. <laughs> you know, I had no interest in UFO. All of a sudden, I'm, I'm an expert now in, in Revelation and, 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 and the Mayan calendar. And then I joined MUFON. And it's almost like I got pushed into this because I wasn't into this. I was 40 years old. I wasn't into this, you know. And uh, so this is where I am now. But, you know, I, I think the if we looked at the Bible and, and took that a little more literal rather than people laughing at it and saying you're crazy if you believe in all of this stuff, what if Jesus is going to come back, you're going to have the tribulation, the end of days, the seven years, 
You're going to go through all of that. You know, the good people are going to disappear. And, and the, the Antichrist is coming and stuff. And his plan, because he knows his, his half-life is almost over here. It's coming. He's only got a few years to turn people against religion. Aren't we turning against religion right now? I'd say, yeah. I mean, you look at Tim Tebow. Good you know, this guy, wanted to, this guy wanted to take a knee at halftime or before the game. I don't recall. Everybody's laughing at him. What are we laughing at this guy for? Why are we laughing at this guy? Because he's the only religious one on the field, you know? And, and uh, so I said to myself, what would, if, if, if this was demonic, they would want you to turn away from religion, give you something else to look up to and worship, which would be advanced technology, would he tease? You know, it's kind of in my crazy head making a lot of sense right now. This whole thing could be demonic. Maybe there are no ETs and it's all demonic activity to to, to trick us because that's what they do there. You know, the devil it, it would be tricking. I don't know. But then I do think there's ETs that come here or it's interdimensional. You know, I'm not going to say anything's 100 percent. Maybe it's all all the above. Maybe yeah, I, I think it's all the above. Yeah. yeah. I do, but I, I'm Trickery. 100%. you got to get to Anderson Cooper. What happened on – how did you get invited, first of all? What was the premise, and what happened once you were on the show? Yeah, well, they called uh, – I'm on the board of MUFON, a temporary yeah. uh, interim board member at the time, not a permanent board member. So they call – Anderson Cooper show calls MUFON headquarters and says, we need somebody to do the show. We got a couple of good cases. So, you know, it kind of was like nobody really wanted to go do it on Anderson Cooper. So they said, John, why don't you do it? You're from New York originally, and you're the closest one to New York. Well, we got to fly from California and Denver. So I said, okay, I'll do it. And uh, people warned me, don't do it. It's a taped show. It's not live. Don't do it. So I said, well, somebody's got to do it. If I don't do it, they're going to get Joe Blow to do it. You know, somebody's got to go do it. So, so that's really how I got picked. And, uh, you know, I gave them the, the, uh, the one good case we had out of Bucks County, Pennsylvania in 08. And that's the one that we, we talked about. And then there were some other witnesses from Kentucky. There was three witnesses, myself. And they told me they were bringing uh, uh, Joe Nickel on as a skeptic. I said, I don't care. Bring him on. So, uh, but then, then they intro I get there and they tell me we got a psychic medium here who's going to come on. We want you to uh, support her. And I said, there's no place for a psychic medium. I said, did we got three witnesses, the UFO investigator and a skeptic? What do you need a psychic for? You know, so that's that's how they made fun of the whole thing. So, you know, we do the show. I'm very happy the way it went, right? Mm -hmm. And I said, this was great. Because every time Joe said something, Anderson said, well, what do you think about that? I had a good answer. And I usually do have a good answer, you know? And I said, this, man, I, I knocked it out of the ballpark. So 10 days later, it Anderson aired. was cool on air and everything? He no was okay. I mean, he didn't believe, uh, you know, he said he has to see, he gives you this typical, this life in space. But for me, I have to see the body or the craft. And you hear that all the debunkers now, uh, and I hear this at conferences too, so I can pick the G-man out because when they use that line, I know that they're they're you know they're a G-man. They're one of the CIA guys. They wanted them toting the line that you got to show me the body. But I believe there there's life in space. You know that's what they say. So um, so then every when it aired, I would say about forty percent of what I said was cut out. All the good answers. There was one part where the audience applauded the girls, the three witnesses. They cut it out. There was a one part where they laughed at Joe Nickel. They cut it out. 
the answers I gave about, uh, I, I told them, now this is April of 08, no, a April of 12. I told them that the CIA, the NSA was monitoring everything in Utah at that listening post um, and they, they everything, this show, my emails, your emails, your phone, everything. And he, he said, no, he said, no, I don't, you know, he didn't believe it. The audience laughed at me, you know. This was a year before it came out because I read it in Wired magazine that that's what was going on. So I guess Wired magazine and one of my books that I put this in, Apophis 2029, that's in there. Uh, we're the only two people in the country that knew that the, CIA, the NSA was doing this. I said it on the show. And uh, so it was, it was thing after thing that, that got cut out of the show, you know. And I was like stunned. I was saying, they said, where, where is all the good answers I gave? They cut it all out. So I called the producer and asked him. He goes, well, we ran about three minutes extra. I said, well, why didn't you cut out the last 10 minutes with the psychic medium? I mean, that was the stupidest thing. And he goes, yeah, we went overboard with that. And we shouldn't have brought the psychic. You were right. And, but yet they edited. So it, it really left Joe Nickel looking like the smart guy, like the expert. They gave him the last word. So, you know, it was so in contrast to that, John, how does Hangar One hold together? Are you happy with the way it's going right now in terms oh, of editing and the storytelling? Yeah, I get to uh, I get to read over the uh, kind of, you know, the outline and everything before we film. I add to the show. I've given them a a lot of good ideas. Matter of fact, in season one, it's like nobody put that connection together between Gary McKinnon and President Ronald Reagan. I gave them that. I said, think about it, guys. Reagan in his diary right before he died, I don't know if that was 94 or so, 1994, uh, he put something in his personal diary that said, we, I'm so proud we have an outer space fleet of 300 people, officers. 300. Reagan wanted us to know. That's why he five times said to the UN about extraterrestrials and he spoke with Gorbachev. You know, he couldn't come out and say it, but he did everything subtly he could because he wanted us to know. He put that in his diary. So what did Gary McKinnon find when he from England when he hacked into the uh, Defense Department? He finds Project Solar Warden where we have 300 outer space officers and we have, I don't remember how many craft that they had. Some were big craft, you know, like 300 feet, some 60 foot ones that we have this whole space fleet, you know, and, and I, and I say to people, the space program, the space shuttle, we had five, they held eight people. That's 40. Where did Reagan get 300 from? So I gave them that for the show and they put it in the show. They put the whole Reagan thing with his diary and what he said to the UN and Gary McKinnon. That's the first time anybody put that together. Reagan wanted us to know the truth about ETs and, and what was going on. So, no, that show is cool because I've added to it, uh, you know, on the set, I've, I've introduced things that they didn't know and stuff. So I kind of like, you know, like a small consultant and stuff. But, you know, you get to say what you want. I also do a show in Pittsburgh. You look me up on YouTube and look up either my name or UFOs over Pittsburgh. I do twice a month a half hour UFO talk show with guests like this. But it's on TV. It airs only in Pittsburgh is where it airs. 1.3 million people. That's fine. And uh, and we do this UFO talk show. And then I did a couple of episodes on uh, hang on uh, Close Encounters uh, in Toronto. I filmed it with Discovery Science. So, uh, yeah, so it's, it's pretty cool. That's great. It's going really well. Now, yeah. just speculation. You had mentioned Ronald Reagan. Do you think 
there has actually been contact. You know, we, we hear the rumors about Eisenhower meeting with ETs and everything else. What's your views on this? Has there been contact with world leaders? You know, years ago, I was skeptical on the whole Eisenhower. Uh, you know, that was the uh, Grenada, Grenada Treaty that was signed and stuff. But when you think about it and you say what would happen if they wanted to make contact, they're either going to contact, you know, us or a country in Europe or the Soviet Union. I don't think China back then, but one of those is going to get contacted if they wanted to do some research project. They say, look, we'll give you some stuff. You know, we'll give you the computerized chips and we'll give you lasers. We'll give you Kevlar. We'll give you the stuff that Colonel Corso said, you know. And uh, and so what choice do you have? If you tell them no, they're going to go to Russia. You can't tell them no. So you've got to get in bed with them and say, OK, we're going to do this because the alternative you lose. If we do it, we we may, we stay as the superpower. If we don't do it, somebody else becomes the superpower. So you have to. So it, to me, it makes a lot of sense. And you know, to me, my my hero is Reagan, though, because uh you know, Carter saw it, and he was the only president that filed the UFO report. But Reagan had two encounters, yeah. and but but he tried to tell us, you know, he tried to create Star Wars. I mean, him and Gorbachev discussed this stuff, you know, and talked about we they the, the U.S. and Russia would get together to defend the planet, you know. I mean, that was a common ground that that we had with Russia. Uh, so Reagan was the man, as far as I'm concerned, with as far as UFOs go. You know, our current president is completely clueless on this. Uh, you know, when he was asked twice, he said, well, uh, are they Republicans or Democrats? So he made fun of it in his first election. And then Bassett put the petition in and he came back and said that uh, there's no proof that there's any intelligent life anywhere in the universe and there's no proof we've ever been visited. So the intelligent life quote must have included him too and us, <laughs> you know, because there is no intelligent life from what I can see, you know, but he, he's really the most dismissive president of all of them. I mean, you can find with the other presidents, you know, uh, Nixon, he showed Jackie Gleason the bodies, you know, yeah, yeah. down in Florida. You know, Clinton was interested. He went to Lawrence Rockefeller's ranch that time and and they discussed the whole thing. And his uh, chief of staff, Podesta, you know, he spoke at the uh, at the National Press Club about, you know, people deserve the, the, the right to know about UFOs. Every president except the current one. It's incredible that this guy who is supposed to be the most uh, honest to me, he's the, he's the most clammed up president I've ever seen. Do you think we're headed for a calamity right now, John? Oh, I don't know. Uh, you know, economy seems to be getting better. You know, it's, eventually these, these, this end of days thing will happen. Uh, my biggest fear still is that super volcano in Yellowstone. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I talked about it for years. And like I said, I've lost, I've lost reception on, on show, radio shows talking about it. But that is a real threat. That's the most imminent threat we have is Yellowstone right now, because it will pretty much wipe out uh, half the United States and part of Canada. And, uh, you know, and, but then the acid rain comes and then you're talking about losing four billion people. That's what would be the result of that supervolcano. So I became an expert in asteroids because I wrote a book on that and, and end time prophecies and UFOs. But the one that scares me is Yellowstone. That's the biggest problem I think we could have. It's unpredictable, isn't it? It could just go 
Well, down. we know that at any time the ground swells up six feet. There was a road that started to melt. The blacktop started to melt away. Uh, there was a bunch of guys that went there, like these Harvard graduates, doctors and lawyers. They go every five years to for a camping, fishing trip. They went over there. The dock was there, and the lake was over there. The ground swelled up six feet. The water moved over. All the trees were five feet underwater, and they're saying, how is this possible? They were the ones that actually... Uh, about 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, maybe, they then they paid for the surveys and redid all the surveys and found out the ground rose six feet in that area. That caldera at any time swells up. There's earth little tremors, and we had 21 earthquakes uh, tremors last January. It, I, you know, I, I hope I don't ever have to live through that. That uh, I hope this happens after my time in 30, 40 more years. But, uh, but, you know, I, I feel bad for my kids and grandkids. That is something that will be like nothing humanity has ever seen. Besides monitoring it, John, is there anything we can do to relieve some of the stress on it? Well, oh, oh no, I think you would you would you try to pluck it and drain it. It's going to explode. You know, I even worry like the book I wrote, uh, Apophis 2029, is a half mile asteroid that's supposed to just miss us. And if it does hit, it'll hit Nigeria. But I've got a scenario in the book where the, the impact is so great, it kind of resonates through the globe and bulges on the other side and pops Yellowstone, you know, which I think, you know, I don't, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a physics geologist. I wonder if something like that happened. If most, most asteroid strikes are in the United States and China, if China were to get hit with a large enough asteroid, would it make the whole ring of fire go off on the other side of the planet, you know? Yeah. Fukushima. You know, who knew that was going to happen for sure? Yeah. You know, I yeah. Know. These, these things happen. You know, they really happen. And uh, Chernobyl, you know, yeah. it, ha it but, happens. Absolutely. But, you we know, we're getting people, radiation readings in Ottawa when Chernobyl happened. Yeah. And you know what? Uh, kind of, I was a little worried. I told my kids, too. They got married uh, last year and went to Hawaii. And I said, you know what? I'm not sure I want to go over that way, you know, with the radiation. Who knows what fish you're eating, stuff like that. You know, here you are, it's your honeymoon, you're getting married, you're going to Hawaii. I think I'd go to London. <laughs> you know, I want to go as far away from it as possible. But they went anyhow, they wanted to go to Hawaii. So hopefully everything turns out okay for them. But, uh, but you know, these people that, you know, talk about the abductions and stuff, saying they're here, they're going to help us and they're going to give us this, give us that. They've never given us anything. And, you know, it's even in my book that, you know, they're here, this is a science project. And they, um, they're observing us. They know that the planet cleanses itself periodically. Mm. And I'm certain when that Yellowstone is ready to blow, you're going to see 100 UFOs. Every species is going to send their representative here to film this because <laughs> they want to see the supervolcano go off and then watch how we struggle and how do we survive this thing. They're not here to help. They're not going to intercede. They never have as far as helping us, you know, to advance us and cure our ills and, and give us free energy. They're not. Because this happens, it's happened forever. What do you think about the possibilities of alien moon bases, perhaps? Maybe well, something I, on Mars? I've civilizations? Always, yeah. I've, you know, I've got a scenario in the book, and this is actually what the hybrid tells me, is uh, this is how this whole thing went about. Venus was a comet. It would pass by, you know, you could see it bigger. It would come by like as big as the moon. It was a comet that came by. Eventually, 
it came so close to Earth, that's what caused the, the great flood. The tail of the comet, for 40 days, we went through the tail of the comet every time we went around the sun, and it just poured rain in, in barrels. So we went through the tail of the comet, uh, which was Venus. Venus just missed Mars and ripped its atmosphere away. The civilization that was there came here because they knew this was going to happen. It ripped because that's they lost their atmosphere and then they lost all the water and everything. Venus got caught in the uh, sun's gravity and became a planet. It's the only planet that rotates the opposite direction. I didn't know the that, only, John. You just educated the, me. Yeah, the only one that rotates. That's the theory that's in my book of the Great Flood. What happened to Mars? It was it was inhabited just like us, and some of them came here, and that's how Venus got in place. So I got cool ideas in my book, you know. <laughs> The first, the first uh, human abductions, it didn't start back with Bonnie and Betty Hill. You know when it was? No. 1888, Whitechapel, London. Think about it. They never caught Jack. There was no Jack the Ripper, Jack. It was an ET. Those were human abductions just like the cattle mutilations. Oh, my Never God. caught them. I never connected the two like that. He did the same exact things, right? He took the sexual organs, took the inners. He, he did everything that they did on a cattle mutilation. That was an ET human abduction by a species that was in London at the time. You know, Titanic didn't hit an iceberg. Didn't hit an iceberg. It was a USO coming up out of the water, hit the Titanic. That's what sunk it. Accidentally clipped the Titanic. My book is full of ideas that you have never thought of. <laughs> you know, Michel Deschamps been on the show. He's the Northern Ontario MUFON representative, friend okay. of Don as well, and, and Stans yeah. and everybody. And uh, he was saying the greatest attraction up there, because there's a lake every six feet, honest to God, there's a lake every six feet, is the water. For mm -hmm. some reason, they're attracted to water. And, you know, I was mentioning in the first show the fact that I'm on Lake Ontario here in Kingston. And there's a sighting, you know, every, every weekend it seems somebody else is, is, has seen something weird happening, either lights under the water or something flying out of the water. What are your your, your views on something like that, on speculation? Is there a lot of lakes where you are? Because you were saying that yeah. your state has 350 sightings a year? Yeah, yeah, we're like the third and fourth highest in the country. And population-wise, it don't quite add up. You know, we get a lot of cases. But there was a couple of things that you you know you need to know with that. Paul Stonehill, who wrote a chapter for my UFOs over Pennsylvania book, told me that Russia did a study and concluded that half, more than half of all the UFO sightings were around bodies of water. And I, I think Jacques Vallee and others have all concluded the same thing. You know that that Ivan Sanderson, you know that is true. And, and what just happened was one of my field investigators here in Pennsylvania, who's an attorney and an author, he went through 2,000 MUFON uh, sightings reports over like four years and um, did a study on orange orbs. And it drew, and he does a whole, you know, it's crazy. He has a description in his book that matches the description in my book of that guy standing down the hallway, when he describes him, that's exactly how I described him as the same being. I showed it to him on my show, UFOs Over Pittsburgh, and he says, John, that's what they see with these orange orbs. That guy whose long arms and legs, tiny waist, 
square head like he's wearing some sort of breathing device. That's what he saw. But he also did the study as to where he says they come out at 830 at night. They go back around 1030. It seems to be based on the reports or when people see it. And he said there's four bases around the country. And, and he it's in his book that he shows a map. There's one off of uh, there's one off of Miami. There's one like off of Tampa in the Gulf. There's one in Lake Erie, which is where all of our cases come. And that whole Pennsylvania thing you want to talk about came out of Lake Erie is where it started. And then there's one off of uh, California by Catalina Island. Based on the reports and where they see it and where they're headed, those are the four bases around the country. What's the attraction? Is it the water itself or is it the camouflage that it offers them so people don't see them? Yeah, it's the camouflage. Because you got to figure if they can fly in space, they got to be able to be under the water. I mean, it's got to be airtight, right? Yeah. <laughs> you're not gonna, if you're not springing, you know, you don't have leaks in outer space, you're not going to have leaks under the water. I think it's uh, it's where they hide. And I definitely, when you look at the continental shelf, you know, during yeah. World War II, the subs would, like the German and Japanese subs would come, they would sit and just park themselves on the continental shelf in like caverns and wait. That's what they did. That's exactly what these UFOs do. do. There's probably certain areas where there's bases that they either drilled out or huge caverns off of the continental shelf that they go into. And But it's in my mind, it's all about uh, camouflage is what it is. Hollow Earth theory? That's in my book, too. Well, the uh, you know, I was really intrigued with Hitler and the Vril and yeah. how that whole thing happened. Yeah. You know, you hope, yeah, I think you probably know the story, but, you know, he was into the occult and the Vril, yeah. And, um, and the, that book, The Coming Race, written, I think, in 1876, which was the hollow earth theory, you know. So, uh, you know, I put that in there. Uh, I just read a book about crypto terrestrials, too, recently, uh, where they're saying that there's a species that has always shared the planet with us. You know, whether it's the uh, leftovers of, of Atlantis, you know. And, and, you know, after World War II, the, the Nazis went to Antarctica as their fallback base. So in my book, though, it's funny how, and I don't want to give away the whole storyline, but this woman who turns out to be a hybrid is very afraid of the hollow earth and the demonic entities because they can't control them. You know, they're, the ETs are from other planets just like we are, more advanced, but they're afraid of what I was describing to you as the demonic side of it, the greys, you know, the whole hollow earth thing could be them where they reside. I don't know. But I, I have that storyline in the book where the ETs are afraid of the demonic side. They can't control that, and they're actually afraid of it, just like we are. Wow, what a great story. you got to read the book. book. I'm telling uh, you. It's, it's... The book is called An Alternative History of Mankind. Is that what it's in? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So www.nightfrightshow.com. Just click on tonight's guest book covers, and that will take you right to a spot where you can order the books from the comfort of your own home, an armchair <laughs> with a comforter pulled right up. Great book to read. Okay, John, I want to take you back in time to June 29th, 2008, 10, 15 PM. What happened? Well, you know, I, uh, I thought I had my first UFO sighting. So uh, what happens was I, at the time I had a pair of Dobermans who were really good dogs, about 90 pounds, well-trained. I always adopt the dogs. So somebody else trained them. 
And I would actually open my front door and let them both out. They would walk to the mailbox with me, you know, never went after other dogs and stuff. So I let them out. I'm standing there. All of a sudden, I see something in the sky, this bright object moving really fast across the sky. It went behind a cloud and disappeared. I said, I, I just saw my first UFO, you know, so brought the dogs in. I come in, I jump on the computer and I do what MUFON does. I, there's a, a website where you put your zip code in and it tells you everything that flew over that zip code. Exactly at that time, 1015, 1020, whatever it was on that date, there was a small asteroid heading to the northeast. It said it right there exactly at that time. Then I realized it was reflecting the moonlight because the moon was off in the west. The light reflected off because asteroids are, are iron ore. It was reflecting the light. So I thought I saw my first uh, uh, UFO, but I really just was a good investigator and figured out it wasn't. <laughs> so I've never seen a UFO either. But, you know, we um, have this uh, highway that goes between Montreal and Toronto called the 401. It's the busiest highway in North America. Uh, 500,000 vehicles go by every day. Wow. And, you know, it's just truck after truck after truck after truck. And, um, you know, all the truckers call in with their uh, their sightings. And they're pretty consistent around Lake Ontario. And, of yeah. course, the St. Lawrence River runs right through to Montreal. So Canada's pretty much a spooky place, folks. What can I tell yeah. you? Yeah. Well, that whole northern area is, like I said, Vermont, New Hampshire. Yeah. I, get the, I get the weirdest cases out of there. Tell but us some of them. Start, well, I was going to say, that started the whole... A UFO wave of 2008, what you just brought up about right. my sighting. And uh, what, what we were able to figure out with that was it was uh, around April. It started around April of 08. We were, and this is crazy, man. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here watching television. I'm getting phone calls from people from East Lake, Ohio, from Wheeling, West Virginia, telling me they see these, these orbs and these bright lights like UFOs coming in off of Lake Erie. The guy's standing right there on East Lake, Ohio, and he says, this thing is coming in, just came over, it's heading through Ohio. Then the guy, you know, puts a UFO report in, move on, from Wheeling. I see this coming over Wheeling, heading to Pittsburgh. I'm getting cases in Pittsburgh. I get a case from a guy in State College. It's the same, it's like a half hour after after the guy in East Lake, Ohio. So they're coming in off of Lake, Lake Erie, across Pennsylvania, then we have that huge UFO wave in uh, in Bucks County, but it started in 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 uh, Lake Erie, and th and this is the stuff I talked about on Anderson Cooper and those were the witnesses there. But uh, you know we had that Denise case, the one that came to Anderson Cooper, and she yeah she she four times, the two best cases we had, both of them were like three four in the morning. Dog starts barking. These are people who live about ten miles away from each other. And um, they wake up, they see a UFO. Well, with the Denise case, four times she saw a triangular craft with three lights on it. And one time it drops these metallic probes or sprinkles into her tree and then sucks them right back up like a magnet, you know. So we take uh, samples of the leaves and send it to uh, three different labs. And uh, one of them comes back saying that the leaves were subject to high heat or radiation, and they were almost like like it was October instead of July. And the leaves emitted uh, anthocyanine, which was a, a an enzyme that the leaves emit when they're under high heat. 
So something happened. Um, the other lab thought they found something else on the leaves that uh, matched up to a case Linda Moulton Howell was working on, but it turned out to be bird urine. You know, I didn't even know birds urinate, but I guess they do. <laughs> but that's that's what that was. And, uh, you know, and then there were like some chew marks out of it, but it wasn't from insects. It was like almost like a laser or something. So whatever, something happened in this tree, like she said. Oh, and then the other lab report found high rates of boron on the leaves, like four times higher. And we took leaves from other trees in the yard, down the street, no boron. Her leaves, where she said something happened, was with boron. Boron is used in stealth aircraft because it doesn't reflect radar. And it's also used as a, in paints in nuclear reactors and stuff like that. So, you know, I asked Denise, do you, do you, do you have a spice rack? Yeah, I said, you got boron in your spice rack? She goes, no, she had no idea what I was talking about. She didn't stand there and sprinkle boron on the leaves, but that's what came up. So something happened in that tree. No you know? Yeah, so it was a good case. That, that case has been on every TV show I've done that we've done that case, you know. Now... The reason why I got in touch with you originally is because a good friend of ours down Dundary, who's been on the show, folks, you can find his shows in the archives, um, had come on talking about an investigation he'd done, a, a series of investigations um, that led to a report on alien abductions. And somebody had contacted me from the show, from Pennsylvania. And anyways, Don got in touch with you. You got in touch with me. Mm -hmm. I don't want to know anybody's personal names or anything like that, but what can you do for people that are abductees? Is there anything that can be done besides just monitoring? Yeah. Oh. Well, you don't, I mean, we don't ever have to use their real name. A lot of times they can just use aliases when they put the information in. We don't, we just need to be able to talk to you. Give me a real phone number or email. You don't have to use your, your real name. We also, with MUFON, we have the abduction research team. So this is a, a group of people that are, you know, big names in the field. You know, Kathy Martin is the one that runs it. And, uh, yeah. you know, one of my guys is actually one of the, he's a doctor. I don't know if you reckon, if you were a baseball fan in the 70s and 80s, do you remember George Doc Medich? Pitch for the Yankees and pitch for the Pirates. Big strapping guy, 6'5". He's a field investigator for me. Is he out of, really? out of, yeah, out of Pittsburgh. And uh, he was actually in the first episode of my UFOs over Pennsylvania talk show I do. And uh, he's on the abduction research team because he's, he's actually a doctor. He's a surgeon, you know, podiatrist. So he was a baseball player and a podiatrist. And he's a, a field investigator for MUFON. Uh, so they have a pretty good group of people. And they have, you know, they have a whole checklist. And they, you know, how to tell if the person's telling the truth and what severity it is. And uh, then they have people they can refer them to, you know, depending on where you live. You know, but, you know, that part, whether your medical plan will pick up regressive hypnosis or go into a psychologist, you know, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Maybe you don't have medical, you know. So, but you can uh, offer some sort Yeah, of we can offer that. We can give them names of people to see and stuff. So, uh, but, I, you know, I don't know that there's ever closure to it on the abduction because uh, I don't know how do you get to closure because you, you're, you're haunted by it. Just like what happened to me in 99, you know. Um, I don't know what that was. Disorder. Yeah, yeah. I don't I mean I don't I don't uh, I don't know what that was, and it really affected me for a while because I was having these bad dreams and, and stuff, and it was, uh, you know, I, I don't know what that was. What happened? You know, uh, an out of body. I thought it was an out of body experience, and then I read Whitley Strieber's book Communion. Oh boy. In his 
In his book, there's a paragraph that says people who think they have out-of-body experiences and they see like the roof of the house and the cars, they say, no, that's an abduction. That's you being taken and you kind of like wake up like under anesthesia for a second and you see what's going on. I almost fell out of my bed when I was laying in bed reading this book. I said, oh, my God. And, and I had another out-of-body experience at 12 years old. Exactly 30 years earlier, July of 1969 and uh, July of uh, 1999. So I, I asked Dr. David Jacobs. I told him yeah. what happened. And, you know, and I said, I mean, could they be like, you know, like an animal? They they tack you and, and it's like every 30 years they come back and check on my progress and they'll be back when I'm 82 years old, you know, 72 years old. And uh, he, did, he disagreed. He said, no, that's not the way they operate. When they come, they come often. They they keep coming back, and it's generations and and, and stuff. And you know, the first question he asked me was, uh, when you go to bed at night, do you wear underwear? No, he said, what type of underwear do you wear? And you know, I, I picked him up at the airport to to speak at my conference, and I'm like, I'm moving away from him when he asked me that question, you know. And I said, well. David, I don't wear underwear in bed. It's very uncomfortable to me to wear pajamas and stuff. And he goes, I said, why would you ask me that? And he goes, well, because if you wear boxes or briefs, what we have found is uh, briefs you can really only put on one way. Or He says the boxes shorts, a lot of times the abductee is put on backwards. The fly is in the back because the ETs don't know how to put them on. Oh. And he says a lot of the abductees wake up and their underwear is on backwards. I said, well, I don't wear any, so I can't answer that question. But that was his—that was his, the question he had asked me. But uh, John, so we're going to have to start to wrap up. I'm sorry. Okay, it's right, been absolutely good. wonderful. John Ventry has been our guest tonight, folks. The book is called "An Alternative History of Mankind." www.nightfrightshow.com. Just click on tonight's guest book covers. That'll take you right to a spot where you can order them in the comfort of your own home. John, of course, is the MUFON director for six, count them, six states. Now, we had touched on baseball before, and I had mentioned I was a Montreal Expos fan. Yeah. And we talked about space, and I was a big Bill Lee fan, the spaceman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I well, they had great leader. teams. I'm telling you, those Montreal teams were great back then. Andre Dawson, you had some great players back Thank then. You. Yeah, yeah, and Pittsburgh was just one of my – Willie Stargell. Mm-hmm. Still one of my icons. Uh, what a yeah. man. What an incredible man. Not even just a baseball player, but as a human being. Just incredible. Yeah. Man. yeah. John, thank you so much. Don't be a stranger. You have a home here in Night Fright. Sounds good. Thank you. I'm Brent Holland from Night Fright. See you all next time. Person witness accounts. Order yours right now. Nightfrightshow.com. <laughs>